Good morning. Uh, happy to be with you this morning. Uh, if you've been following along with us recently, you'll know that a couple weeks ago, we celebrated our 75th anniversary as a church. And, you know, part of what we did in celebrating was we decided to raise some funds uh, for, for what we're calling the Matthew 25 Israel Project. And the whole idea is that we're going to actually raise money towards some social justice initiatives and humanitarian efforts in Israel. And I, I'm happy to report that we're over 50% of the way towards our $25,000 goal. So thank you to those who have um, given towards this initiative. And um, if you're able to continue to do so, this is great because this is going to be a way to really bless some other people in a special part of the world. Uh, so I just invite you into doing that. And, you know, this morning we are considering continuing our um, scripture talk series, uh, Do Life Differently. And this is where uh, we're looking at the, the letter, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. So as part of this series, you know, today we're going to look at what Paul has to say in that letter to that church and how it really impacts our lives today. Last week, Pastor Dave talked about how we can actually be discerning. We can actually grow in our capacity to discern well and to make good and healthy decisions and to understand the, the signs of the times as they were to make the right decisions. And this week, we're going to talk about actually being bold, what Paul has to say in Philippians about living a bold life and how we can apply that in our lives today. I want to start with our passage to ponder, and it's from Philippians chapter 2. And it says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. God comes to earth as a human being. And, it continues, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Paul right here is saying that God showed this perfect example. He, he leaves his position of glory, comes to earth as a human being, lives as we do, which is, a, which is hard to even fully comprehend. And then he serves us even to the point of going towards the cross and dying for our sins. And we know that that's not where the story ends because on the third day he would come back to life again and make a way for us to spend eternity with him. So Paul says, look at that as an example. We should actually have the same mindset. We should think the same way that Christ Jesus does, being willing to serve and being willing to serve in a sacrificial way. And so as we continue the series um, today, let's look at why uh, Paul's writing the letter to the Philippians in the first place. Well, you know, the church at Philippi, it was the first church that Paul established in Europe. And you can read about the first time he went there in Acts chapter 16. At this point, when he's writing the letter to the Philippians, he's, he's in jail and most likely in a Roman jail. So he's not there, but he's writing a letter to them. And at this church, that he, the, his first church he converted in Europe, um, the first convert there was a woman named Lydia. And she is described as a worshiper of God. But it says that, you know, the Lord actually opened her heart to receive the message that Paul and his friend Silas were sharing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so she receives that message. And then it goes on to say that her and her entire household were baptized and they decided to follow Jesus. So Paul's thinking about all this when he's writing the letter. That's some big mountaintop moments there. You see someone give their life to Christ through your efforts and what God's doing through them. Um, but Paul and Silas, they also had some challenging times when they're at Philippi as well. Paul 
Um, in Acts 16, it talks about how, you know, as Paul and Silas were uh, traveling along the way, they came across this woman who um, was actually possessed by a demon. And through their interactions with her, Paul and Silas, they actually exercise the demon out of that woman. She's freed. But in the process of doing this, they actually are thrown in jail by the people who um, were kind of using that woman for, that, for their own benefit. So Paul and Silas end up in jail. They're in shackles. And while they're there, like God actually does a miraculous thing and frees them. And we're going to read about that right now. And we're going to read about what Paul does and his response to the jailer. So let's go to Acts chapter 16, verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're in jail right now, shackled. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked them, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And later it goes on to say that um, he decides to be baptized, he and his entire household, and they give them their lives to the Lord. <clears throat> so when Paul's writing the letter to the Philippians, he's thinking about these moments, these great moments as establishing a church, um, Lydia giving her life, um, they're being jailed you know, for doing actually something good. And the jailer's response, he actually gives his life and it saves his entire family. So he's thinking about all these things as he's writing the letter to the Philippians. And he wants to remind the Philippians that there is lasting impact in the work that they're doing of spreading the gospel of Jesus. And he wants to remind the Philippians, I think, I think part of what he wants to remind them is to be bold in this life because this boldness that we can have with a confidence in God uh, can actually strengthen us. And not only that, it can help to further the mission of the gospel. So boldness here, when we think about boldness, it really involves like strength and courage, right? And, and courage, it can, it can be defined as acting in spite of fear, right? You you're still can be nervous and scared about things, but yet you decide to act in the right way. And strength is this kind of, think of it as this ability to withstand a lot of pressure, okay? So this is what boldness is all about. And there's a few points that we have today, some thoughts um, for your consideration. And the first one is this. If you want to live a bold life, don't be ashamed of the gospel. And Paul models this. We're gonna look at Philippians verses um, chapter 1, verses 20 through 26. So we're going to start with verse 20 here. And these are the words of Paul. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. The New Living Translation translates that as continue to be bold, right? Or sufficient courage, so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul is saying that, you know what? He has a strong expectation that he will not be ashamed. Uh, God will not shame him at the end of his life. He's devoted his life to following Jesus and he knows God will not shame him. But it also reminds me of something Paul said um, in Romans 
1.16, right? Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, to the Jew and to the non-Jew, to everyone who believes. So Paul is convinced. He knows that God's going to get glory through his life and through his missionary and, and, and his ministry and everything that he does. But he also knows that um, God will even get glory if he, if he dies. And, you know, as a little preview, Paul actually does die as a martyr. He gives up everything, including his life, to serve Jesus. And God gets glory through that. But Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel, right? He says the gospel of Jesus displays the power of God. And it's the power to save every single person who believes. The gospel, or it's called the good news. The good news about Jesus. And the good news is this. It's that God's saving purpose for all people. The gospel is about God's saving purpose for all people and the lengths at which he'll go to save people from themselves. We have to think, just like we read in our passage to ponder, Jesus actually leaves his, his position of privilege, his position of glory, comes here to earth to save us because we cannot save ourselves. He actually gives his life and dies so that we can be made with him. And Luke 16 or Luke 19 says this. He says, "For the son of, for the son of man, um, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. We were the ones that were lost." John 3:16 is a popular passage if you've been around the Bible, but John 3:17 is still very important. Um, in 3:16 it says this: "For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life." And passages and verse 17, the very next verse said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world, right, through him. So this is what Paul said we should not be ashamed about. If you feel like um, you can't answer every single question from a skeptic or, um, you know, you don't have the answer to life's questions. Paul says, feel no shame in that, right? None of us have the answer to all of life's questions. But Paul says we shouldn't be ashamed of the fact that the gospel can change people's hearts. It can change their eternities. It can even change their family lineage. Um, I, I was having a conversation with my grandma earlier this week as I was preparing for this. And, and she was telling me about uh, the time when she gave her life to Christ. And she said she knew the exact date. She said it was October 13th, 1967. So this is just over 54 years ago. And uh, my grandma, she went to church to dedicate uh, her child, which was my uncle Andrew at the time. And um, she went to dedicate him. And it was there where she heard the message. She decided to respond to um, Jesus's call in her life. And she gave her life to the Lord. But before that, though, she had an interesting experience. She had this very vivid dream where she described it to me as the most beautiful garden she has ever seen to date. The most beautiful garden she has ever seen to date. And as she approached that garden, there was a hand in front of her, a hand that was outstretched towards her. And she heard her voice say, come. And she didn't know what that meant. But when she went uh, to church that Sunday to uh, dedicate her baby, her pastor was talking from, um, the message was from John chapter four. And the message was, um, Jesus knows where you are. And so at the end of the message, the pastor says that, um, so Jesus knows where you are. And if you want to drink from the well where you'll never be thirsty again, then come. And she said it was at that time when she heard that word again. And that, uh, that word then that reminded her of the voice that said, come. She realized that Jesus was actually calling her. 
So that moment she responds to it. And I believe that that moment changed my whole family lineage. From that point on, you know, later on, my, my grandfather would give his life to the Lord. Um, my mother would be brought in a Christian household and, and to be able to uh, decide to serve Jesus and help uh, with her and my dad, help myself and my brother. And so it's continued on amongst the generations. And I want to lay that foundation for my children. And so that's exactly what happened to Lydia. That's exactly what happened to the Philippian jailer as well. They changed their, in that moment, they answered yes to God's call and it changed not only their lives, but their, their families and their lineage's life. If you are still holding out on, on someone and you're praying earnestly for someone just to give their life, someone, a family member or a loved one, and you're praying, continue to pray. Paul says, don't be ashamed by that because that has the power to change and to save people. That's the only thing that can, that can do that. So continue to pray and call out to them. And if you are the very first one in your family, you can be like Lydia. You can be like that Philippian jailer where you can set the tone for generations to come of following Jesus. That moment that my grandma said, yes, I believe changed my family lineage and, and it can change yours. Now, the second thing, being bold, it means living a fruitful life for Christ. And, you know, Paul, if you've been around the Bible, um, you'll recognize this verse. This is a pretty popular passage. In verse 21 of Philippians chapter one, Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? What Paul is saying here, he's saying that living means living your life for Christ and to serve him in all that you do, right? Part of being bold is having this strong conviction that governs your entire life. And that for Christ followers is the good news about Jesus Christ. And let us not be ashamed of it, as we just said. So when we actually have this strong conviction, we can dedicate everything in our lives. We can dedicate the way we work, the way we love, the way we parent, the way we use our bodies, the way we use our time. We can dedicate all of that to the glory of God. We can dedicate the totality of our lives to bring God glory. But then Paul says this, he says, dying is even better. <laughs> and Paul says, death for the Christian is an upgrade. And he says, it's a, it's a gain. It's an increase. And, you know, I like this quote that I, I read from David Guzik. He says that Paul knows that for the Christian, death is not defeat. It's a graduation into glory. I love that quote. I really love it. So you think of it as a graduation, you're actually kind of being rewarded and you're moving on to the next part. And if you, if you look at the word, you know, graduations are sometimes called commencements and commencements means uh, a new start or a beginning. So death for the Christian is actually a new beginning. It's our new life that's going to go on in eternity. And, you know, it's been said before, but I'll, I'll say it again today. The Christian man or woman, the, the Christ follower, really, they might fear dying, but they shouldn't fear death. Do you understand the difference there? Right? The process of dying is something that we haven't experienced before. And so it's new and it can, that can bring fear. That can bring fear naturally. But death for the Christian actually means to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right? Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5 says that. And so we're reminded that even though dying might be scary, death itself brings us um, new hope and it's a, it, we're with Jesus. And, you know, I think of this, there's so many um, examples of this, but, you know, one prominent one in the Bible is the thief on the cross. There's a thief that is um, being punished for his crimes and Jesus is actually being punished as well, but unjustly right beside him. 
And at that moment, the thief recognizes who Jesus is. And he says, um, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's what death is for the believer. We're in paradise with Jesus, right? So death is a net gain to the believer, right? It's being in God's presence where there's no more tears, heartache, pain, no anxieties, right? But there's peace and wholeness and joy and newness all the time. And it's interesting that Paul says this because Paul is the same person who in uh, his, in second Corinthians, he talks about this vision, this powerful vision he had from God. And he says, uh, I don't know if it was an out of body experience or if I was in the body, but I was actually brought up into what he calls the third heavens or brought to paradise and he saw things. He said, saw things that he couldn't comprehend. He saw things that are too good to put into words. And that's what death is for the believer. It's so good that we don't even have words to express it in this world. But as we continue on in the Philippians passage, in verse 22, Paul seems like he's, he's kind of um, vacillating a little bit here. He, he seems like he's gonna, he maybe he's questioning it. He says, yes, um, this is a gain to die. But then in verse 22, he says, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor to me. Then he says, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. He's like, should I live or should I die? I don't know. He says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to, de to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So in verse 21, Paul says, death is better. And then in verse 22, he says, well, but if I live, I can be fruitful for Jesus. And then he says, he's, he's not really sure. But again, when we go back to verse 23, he does say he has a desire. And this is, this is not to be thought of in Paul, you know, desires to lose his life or, or um, harm himself or in a depressing way. But he desires, he says, he actually desires to die so that he can be with Jesus. But he's recognizing that for the sake of the Philippians, it's better that he remains alive. So Paul's conflicted here because he knows that there's work to be done. It's actually better for the Philippians that Paul is alive. So they need him. And he understands that uh, that's part of his role in life. And Paul right here, he just has this expectation that he will, his life will bear fruit. It will produce good things. And that's what a life in Christ is meant to do. It's meant to bear fruit and produce good things that bring God glory. And we can have a confident expectation that if we actually um, follow Jesus, our lives will produce good things that give him glory. So the question is, how do we produce fruit? Okay, here's, and here's part of it. Uh, to produce fruit for Jesus, we need to keep rooted in him, but we need to expect to be pruned, okay? In uh, John chapter 15, a, a couple verses here, Jesus is talking and he says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. So Jesus is actually the source of our, uh, he's the grapevine. Jesus is the source of our power, of our ability to produce good things. And then he says, he prunes the branches. This is the father. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. In verse four, he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So Jesus is saying, we have to, to be fruitful, we have to keep rooted or we have to remain in him and so that he can remain in us. He's a source of our growth. He's a source of our power. But 
we are going to be pruned, Jesus says. And pruning is the act of trimming the branches of a tree so that that tree can actually reach its full potential, its full growth. And it's the exact same thing with us. If we want to reach our full potential in Christ, we need to be pruned. And you might find that there's certain things in your life and in my life that inhibit our full growth. Um, You know, our impatience or our selfishness or our desires that aren't from God. They actually inhibit our full potential. And to reach our potential, we need to prune these things. You want to think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit, it says this is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So these sort of things, if you want to be, let's say you want to live a life that's more loving. Well, there might be people in your life who are difficult to love. And you might have opportunities to forgive them. You might have opportunities to serve them, right? Let's say you want to be more gentle or kind. You might find yourselves uh, find yourself with an opportunity to react out of anger. And now you have to be very intentional to choose to be gentle and kind in that moment when anger might be your natural reaction. Let's say you want to be more patient in life. Um, you could try having... Uh, Uh, four kids in in four years or so, like what we did. And then you'll realize that you're actually quite impatient. You'll realize how impatient you really are. And I'm joking about this, but Paul is saying here that, um, or sorry, Jesus is saying here that there are certain things in our life that need to be pruned. They need to be trimmed for us to become who we really should be. There are real circumstances, very challenging ones. Paul, for instance, is in jail when he's writing a letter to Philippians. Paul dealt with a thorn in the flesh, something that he really pleaded with God to be removed, but it caused significant challenge in his life. And James chapter 1 says we should actually be joyful when we face these trials and these tests in our faith journey because they work to produce a perseverance and a resiliency that helps us become more mature. So James, the, the gospel writer James is actually saying here, he's saying, you know, these things, these hardships, these real challenges, and sometimes just the daily annoyances, these, all of these things can help us to become more mature. And this is going to help us to be better followers of Christ. So that's what Jesus is saying here. And finally, our, our last point for today, um, boldness requires surrender. In verse 25 of Philippians chapter one, we're gonna look at the, the next two verses, 25 and 26. You know, after Paul says death is much better, or let, let's, let's read it actually. Um, in verse 25, Paul says this, convinced of this, the fact that he thinks it's better that he stays alive for the sake of the Philippians. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain alive and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul's saying, if I can continue, I'll actually help you to become more mature in the faith and you'll have more pride, more confidence in what Jesus is doing because the things he's doing through me and my circumstances. And remember, Paul is in jail now. So he, this is what he says. And Paul right here, he does something very important. He, remember, he said earlier that um, as, even though he was going back and forth and pondering, he said that death is actually better. And he says he actually desires to be with Jesus. But Paul here gives up his preference. He says, that might be my ultimate desire, but in the end, which was just to be with Jesus, but in the end, 
I'm going to yield to God's will. And the best example of this, of course, is Jesus. Paul could understand that through Jesus's example. In um, the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus is about to go to the cross, um, he has a moment here of real legitimate concern and, and anxiety. And in Luke chapter 22, it says this, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. This is his disciple friends. This is Jesus. Um, he, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond his disciple friends. He knelt down and he prayed and he prays to his father. He says, Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, um, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So a real moment here of, just like I said, concern and anxiety for Jesus about what is to come. Jesus knows his life mission, and he knows he's going to die for the sins of the world, and he'll come, he'll bring himself back to life again. He understands. But he actually says, Father, if I can accomplish my life's mission in another way, Please let that, let that other way come to pass. But he says, not my will or not my preference, Lord, but yours be done. That's what Paul models and that's what Jesus models. You know what the most bold thing is that we can do um, today? Um, I think the most bold thing we can do is to surrender our life to Jesus, to surrender our life to God. Um, we do talk a lot about giving our lives to the Lord, or but, but I do think there's actually a difference between giving and surrendering your life to God. You know, Jesus and Paul, they both had these moments where they did not want their circumstances, right? Paul, Paul was in jail in Philippi. He was in jail when, in, in a Roman jail when he's writing to the Philippians. Paul was beaten on numerous times, shipwrecked, all these sort of things. Jesus, like we just saw in the Garden of Gethsemane, had moments where that's not what he would rather be doing. He had a moment of real concern, but they both surrendered to God's will for, the, for their life. And Jesus says, if you wanna be his disciple, we actually have to do the same. Uh, you know, in Matthew 16, Jesus says, you know, who, the people who want to be my disciple, they have to deny themselves. They actually have to take up their cross and follow him. And then he talks about, you know, if you, if you desire to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life for his sake, then we'll save it. And what it means to be a disciplined follower of Jesus, it means that we actually deny ourselves of some things that we'd want. We deny ourselves of things that slowly take us away from the Lord and his ways. And it also means allowing ourselves of a self-will where we get to um, control every aspect of our life and embrace his will. So when we're thinking about boldness here, let's not confuse it with loudness, right? Being bold, um, it, might not be, it might not mean being the most vocal on social media. It might not mean um, letting everybody know our grievances and where we stand and, and who we stand with and who we stand against, that might not actually be bold. And I think sometimes we can think that that's a bold way to live life. Being bold actually might involve in the quiet moments saying no to a desire that we have and saying yes to the Lord's will. Being bold might actually involve a life-changing circumstance and somehow accepting it and saying, if this is your will for me, Lord, I'll do it even though I don't want to. 
right? So being bold might be about being content with some things that we have uh, and not what we don't have. So Paul here, he says that um, for the Philippians, he knows, he says he knows that it's better that he's going to remain alive for the time being. And he's convinced that he and what Jesus is doing through him in jail, that's actually going to help the Philippians to grow their faith. And so for us, we have to think of the fact that there are some circumstances in our life right now that we don't enjoy. But somehow Jesus could actually be working through these circumstances to actually further the gospel and to advance his kingdom. And the last little while, with everything that's been going on in our society, we have found ourselves in, in a circumstance we don't really enjoy. But maybe it's the way that we're actually going to surrender to this circumstance that can actually lead people to Jesus. And maybe it's our response of saying yes to his will and no to some things we might desire that can actually help people grow in their faith. So Jesus, he models a surrendered life and he asks his disciples to do the same. So let, let's, let's pray today. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice, for your love for us, dear God. Thank you for everything how you modeled that you, you were willing to give up things, Lord, things that were great and your position of glory and you're willing to come to serve us, Lord. Help us not to hold on to things or certain aspects of maybe comfort in our life, Lord, but help us to be willing to serve others and to serve you accordingly. Dear God, um, we also pray that you will just help us to live a fruitful life, a life where we'll just, we'll just produce good things that bring you glory. Help us to um, produce the fruit of the Spirit, just a character a characterized of um, gentleness and love and joy and patience and, and peace, dear God. Help our lives to be characterized of that. And finally, dear God, help us to always um, realize that death is not the end of it for those who are Christ followers, but the fact that we'll actually go to start a new life, our eternity with you. And help us, Lord, to surrender, dear God, to your will. It can be very challenging, Lord, to accept some circumstances we find ourselves in. But Lord, we are going to pray that your will be done to us, that everything that we say yes to, Lord, will actually help us to become more mature Christ followers. So I pray that for everyone hearing that today and for myself as well. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.